Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. and the five love languages to reclaiming the power of female sexuality and learning to let go of everything that's holding you back. The 10 best list that inspired Roberta Masato on her life journey makes very interesting reading. A life coach, NLP practitioner and author of the award-winning book Universe, I Trust You, A Month in Sri Lanka, Roberta Masato joins us now to tell us about her 10 best spiritual books, how they inspired her radical decision to put her trust in the universe and embark on a solo three-month backpacking journey around Sri Lanka, India and Nepal, and why she describes herself as Bradley Cooper's secret wife. <laughs> Roberta, welcome. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me here. We're going to have to get that one out of the way first. Does Bradley Cooper know that you're his secret wife? No, it's still a secret. <laughs> I was considering letting him know, but I think that the time is not, re is not ready yet. Not I would ready. imagine if he wrote a book, it would be top of your list then. Not yet, not yet. And I probably wait for the second one to make the that step. One. Let him know. Yeah. So um, tell us, you've said that you always loved books, but it is only since you published your own that you now perceive them as living beings. Why yeah. is that? Yeah, in fact, this year on Mother's Day, I realized that my book is kind of my child. I've always loved reading. So, and my relationship with books has changed over the years. Initially, I was reading for pleasure. And especially in the last 10 years, I started reading as a way to learn. And when I published my book, I realized that books are not something solid that you just put out there and they remain like that. Because at least in my case, there's been such a journey. My book first came out in Italian, then with many mistakes, because I embrace imperfection. So when I, pub I self-published it, it had the wrong cover, so I had to change the cover. Then I realized there were many typos, so I had to republish it. And then I translated it in English. And little by little, the book has started traveling really technically all over the world with people who would take it with them if they were going to Sri Lanka or as a summer reading, sending me photos of my book in so many different places in the world. And recently it won an award. And so it was even projected on the Nasdaq billboard in Times Square. So it's like it's constantly evolving. And, and I don't know, it's, it's really beautiful to see, for example, the Italian one was initially self-published, then I got a contract with the publishing house. So I had to add an appendix, put some photos inside it. So even the Italian one had an evolution. 
and so yes, I really realized, like at least in my case, book my book all the lot. Definitely, you know, they are living beings. I know so many authors, especially of fiction, who tell me that the characters come in often fully formed. You know, introduce themselves and tell their story through the author, mm. and uh, yeah, they're living, breathing beings. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I how, um, how challenging was it for you to, you know, cull your ten best list down to just ten books? Oh, very, very challenging, and and also so not only to like reduce the number to the top ten, but also. Um, yeah, really decide which ones have had a bigger impact on me. Because now that I was going through the list again, I know that some books were not as important as others, but because I read them at the beginning of my spiritual journey, they had this huge impact that they wouldn't have today when I am more used to these kind of conversations. Yeah. So let's talk about your first book, which is a very, very popular book uh, in the book club. It gets mentioned so often. Conversations with God, book one, An Uncommon Dialogue by Neil Donald Walsh, which was published in 1995. Do you remember when you read this book? I think I read it three years ago. And it was around Christmas. I must have read it in October, November of three years ago, because for Christmas, I gave it to seven friends. I just thought everybody would need to read this book. And I loved it. I loved it, first of all, for its format, the fact that it's written as a dialogue between the author and God. So I like this idea that it's channeled. This author was going through a difficult time in his life and used to put down all his negative feelings into writing letters until he decides to write straight to the, you know, the biggest victimizer of them all, God. And this God starts answering back and he turns out to to have a really beautiful sense of humor. Um, it's really difficult to say. It's one of those books that is so loaded with content, very juicy. And if I have to say what I took out from it, well, first of all, the idea that we are here to, we are all parts of the divine. We are all expression of God. And God wants to experience life through us because it doesn't have a physical form. So all the things that we desire in life, they are available to us. It's almost like our moral duty to experience as much as we can in life. And the fact that, you know, other things that came up for me from that book is that there are always two emotions guiding us, either love or fear. Um, and in fact, one of the things that has become my mantra is make your choices based on love, not of fear. This has become a moral compass that really uh, leads me so often. And also the fact that we're not here to actually learn a lesson, but more to unlearn and remember who we are. So, yeah, as he also talks about the importance of gratitude, like that the right prayer is not one of asking, but it's one of giving thanks. Um, yeah, so in, in general, or for example, that feelings are the language of the soul. And if we pay attention to them, we, so if we know that we're feeling something positive, it means that we are aligned, that we are going in the right direction, the, the one that our soul wants us to go. And if we are experiencing something negative, then, you know, just realizing this should make us stop in our track. Did you... Um 
did it really change your life that book i mean was it a, a revelation to you it was a revelation. It was one of those books that I could read only 10 pages a day within my morning routine or with spiritual readings. It's, uh, it was so dense. And I would say that it really changed my life, especially in, in the permission that it gave me to, to experience everything. The realization that I am an extension of God and God wants me to enjoy everything that he has put in this world. Um, for me and then there were also these answers you know to the big questions like why is there suffering why is there bad and evil and he talks about let's say the law of opposites you cannot recognize or enjoy something unless you have its opposite so these things that we so condemn in our existence are necessary for us to enjoy the other things Book number two is another classic, The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom by Don Miguel Ruiz, published in 1997, and another book that comes up frequently on people's lists. Yeah, what I loved about The Four Agreements is that it's really simple. It's really, uh, it's a short book, very simply explained, and it describes how you can improve your life by following four principles. And just two of them really changed my life again. The first one being, don't take anything personally, which initially, when I heard it, seemed like, what do you mean? There are some things that are really personal. And now I realize that whatever people say and do has nothing to do with me, but it's always a reflection of where they are, of how they see the world. And so this one associated with don't make assumptions. And this is an important one because I personally felt that I've been victim of misunderstandings so often, which could be avoided if only people would adopt a clearer communication, asking verifications, asking for questions. So these are two agreements. And by agreements, we mean agreements that you take with yourself in order to live better. So don't take anything personal. Don't make assumptions. Always give your best, knowing that your best can fluctuate. It's not always... Um, it's not always, um, it can't always be 100%, right? Sometimes we're feeling down, we are stressed, overwhelmed. So our best can be the 20% of our normal capacity, but that's enough. If we know that we are giving our best, that's enough and should save us from all the self-judgment. And finally, be impeccable with your words. Don't use your language to spread the negativity, gossiping, uh, talk badly about other people, um, really try to keep your language clean and use it to spread love. So this was, yeah, as I say, I love books that make it easy for people to understand the concepts. It's like yeah. taking this beautiful thing of spirituality and bring it to the masses in an easy way. When did you read that one? When? When? I think it was in 2016. It was probably one of the first ones. One of the first spiritual books that you read. Yes, yes. Yeah. What was the first spiritual book that you read? The very first one was The Power of Now. Ah. <laughs> which I'm like, oh, yeah, like I started with one of the most difficult to the point that, I mean, the most difficult because for me it was everything completely new and I stopped halfway through because of the language. It was on the one hand very dense in terms of concept, but the fact that Eckhart Tolle has developed all his terminology, you know, the pain body, and there were so many things that I didn't understand. So I stopped that way through 
and I left it there. And in fact, I should read it again because I've uh, I've never read it again. I read other books by Eckhart and I found, you know, like four or five years later and everything was so more easy to understand. So, so definitely I, I probably started with a, with a difficult one. Well, your third book is one that um, may, I mean, it is uh, a big, big seller and I think it's very well known to a certain number of people, but not to everybody. It's one of my personal favourites, actually, The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate by Gary Chapman, and this was published in 1992. Quite an eye-opener, this one, and as you are an NLP practitioner, you will understand, you know, the different ways that people communicate and express themselves, etc. So when did you come across this one? Uh, this one probably in 2017. And I, again, it was a book that is so simple. You know, sometimes there are books that I need to write notes about and they end up being all underlined and I need to then reread re them for something to land. This one instead, I just read it and it was so simple to understand. It basically says that people receive and express love in different ways that he calls love languages. And it's important to be aware of your own love language and also the one of your partner. Because what the author um, has noticed and is our family and marriage counselor is that very often couples would go to him and they were still loving each other but they weren't feeling the love. And this is because it was expressed in ways that wouldn't land on the partner. It's mm. as if I'm talking to you in Italian. It doesn't matter how beautiful the content is, you wouldn't understand it. So I need to speak it in your language. And the languages are touch, physical touch. So hugs, kisses, uh, proximity, uh, words of affirmation. So compliments or encouragement. Uh, I know that you would get that interview. Oh my God, you look amazing today. I love you. All these sorts of verbal expressions. Then there is spending quality time together. So doing meaningful activities together. Acts of service, doing something in order to facilitate and make more comfortable your partner's life. And finally, gifts. And it's really important to understand what your partner's love language is. Because for example, in my case, it's uh, acts of service and touch. And if a partner gives me many gifts, and that's it, and he never hugs me, I wouldn't feel loved. So my love tank would be empty. The love mm -hmm. tank is, a, is another concept that he introduces, which is like the emotional balance that we have. When it's filled, we are able to give and live a harmonious relationship. When it's empty, because we don't receive love in the way that we understand it, that creates emotional disconnection. So very easy to understand and really enlightening. It is It is a very good book. And I think anybody who reads it will, once they understand it, will look back on some of their relationships and say, oops, I got it wrong. That yeah. person did love me. They were just expressing it differently. One of the things that I took away from that book and that um, I think we don't do, you know, when we meet someone new, we tell them all about our experiences, all the things we liked and didn't like, we don't actually say, this is how I know I am being loved. We don't tell people that. And it no. is really important that we should. Yeah, you know, there are some dating apps where they introduced what's your love language. And I thought, oh, my God, what an interesting touch. 
<laughs> so it, it, you're right. It's something useful to know from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Book number four, you just mentioned him earlier, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, mm -hmm. This book is A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, published in 2005. Yeah, so this was easier for me to read. As I said, I read it probably in uh, 2020, quite recent, yeah. Um, and it talks about the new earth would be the collective shift in human consciousness that is possible if we are able to overcome our ego-driven behaviors and our pain body. So again, it comes back with the concept of the pain body, which is all the emotional pain that we've stored over the years and that affects our behaviors and our reactions. In general, it dictates how we move around life. And the ego, that's the biggest thing for me about this book. I finally understood what the ego is. And the ego is this whole sense of self where we identify with external things like possessions or achievements or roles even. And if we are able to beyond both the ego and the, the pain body, we understand that we are so much more and we can understand that by being in the present and really bringing our attention back to the power of now. So it's, it's of course connected with his first book. And he uses this in the introduction, just I think that I read the introduction maybe seven, eight times because I'm a big flower lover. And he talks about flowers as these beings that connect the, like the spiritual world with the one we live in. And he says, flowers really don't, they just blossom. They don't care about validation. They don't check if their timing is correct with the other flowers. And they're not even worried if they're too much, you know, they're, they're beautiful with their colors, with their scent. And in fact, the big masters like Jesus and even Buddha, tell us that watching carefully a flower can be such a lesson in being present and admiring beauty. And that moment in which you are able to see the beauty that is there available for you, that's when you access you know, the, the, the poetry inside you, the, the, the true nature of self, which is here. The ego is always connected to the past. It likes to dwell a lot on what has been, or it's worried about the future. So even just the fact of being so fully present is a way to overcome the ego. Mm. Book number five, interesting one, Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul. Stories mm -hmm. to open the heart and rekindle the spirit of women. And of course, it had multiple authors, including Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Jennifer Reed Hawthorne, and Marcy Shamoff. So what attracted you to this book? Well, I just happened to buy it and I loved it because I read it in a time of my life where I really needed to be reminded of strangers' kindness, which is one of the many things that comes up in this book. So first of all, this book is part of the series Chicken Soup for the Soul, and it's all true stories written by women. And so it explores all the different roles that women have as daughters, mothers, aunts, um, you know, all the, all the roles that we uh, cover. And it's a book, each story touches on something different from career to love, to relationship, to family. And first of all, I really love storytelling. I think it's such a powerful way to spread messages. And hearing these stories made me realize 
how we are so interconnected through generations, through countries, because I could see myself in so many of the stories that were told by an American lady in 1970s. Um, it, it really reminded me how powerful strangers' kindness can be and how timely it generally is. It's almost like really the universe is sending you an angel when you really need it. And then the importance of sharing one story. Uh, I, I know that you love sharing and that's also one of my biggest principles in life. There's no point, I don't see the point in keeping my, my pain for myself, both my pain and my joy. We're here to, you know, to spread everything. My pain can be useful for others to overcome their own or to feel less alone, less isolated. So in general, this book was really like eating, you know, a corroborating chicken soup for the soul. I think that the title is really, is really great. And also I've always loved sisterhood. It's something in which I really believe. And so this collection of stories of women just showing their resilience how much they are always able to hold and to love always in all ways. Book number six, a very popular one, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, published in 2006. Yeah, The Secret is probably the one that needs less introduction out of all the ones that I mentioned. So it was the introduction to the law of attraction for me. Um, and so how you know, it's based on the principle that like attracts like. So the importance of positive thinking and feeling as a way to increase your vibrations to match those of what you are desiring, though that what you want to attract in your life. And one of the problems that there is in the law of attraction, I mean, so many people say, yes, I've tried, I'm there thinking about what I want, and yet it's not coming. The fact is that so often we tend to focus more on the lack of what we want to receive rather than on the actual thing. And so there is a gap between how we are feeling, even when we are thinking about what we want, we are feeling like, yes, but I don't have it, rather than how the book suggests, really visualize having this thing already present in your reality and starts being grateful for it because gratitude is always a magnifying tool that accelerates manifestation. Did you find that your life changed or improved in any way after you read this book? It did. I started doing some of the exercises that it was suggesting. I remember this one. So I read The Secret probably in 2014, 15. And there was this exercise that it was suggesting of imagining to get a tube, get a seat on a crowded tube. And I was always trying it and I would, you know, visualizing when the tube arrives and I would always find the seat. Or then I visualized receiving, being offered a coffee. And there it comes, a colleague offered me a coffee for the first time in weeks. So yes, I was doing all these exercises and they were working and they've worked over and over. But then what my problem with the law of attraction was that I didn't continue enough. Or especially for the big things, there was this underlying not being 100% sure that I can receive it. So that's something that I started working on afterwards. So what did it teach you about yourself? Well, it introduces the concept of energy, that we are all energy and we are vibrational beings and the universe just matches. It's like a radio. So depending on which frequency you tune in, that's what you're going to receive. And the universe is always 
an answer, it's always a match to your frequency. So we cannot blame the universe. It's really us who are maybe not really in control of our own thoughts. We think we are thinking something, but underneath there's this not really believing in it or the, a feeling of unworthiness that makes us, you know, deep down think that we, we don't deserve it. But to answer your question, I think it really taught me how much is available. Like, it's really a secret. It opened up a completely new, new space for me to explore. I had no idea. Wow, can we do that? So it was, uh, it, it was a, big, a big revelation. I think it taught many people. And I hope that the lesson stuck that uh, the most powerful person in the world is themselves. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to take a short break now. We'll be back in a few moments with more from Roberta Masato. Thank you. Home Times TV. Maya Angelou once said that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and when I'm not hosting Omtimes Media's flagship radio show, What Is Going On, and the No BS Spiritual Book Club, I help people share their untold stories. Books are my life, my joy, and my passion, and there is no greater reward than helping aspiring writers get their books out of their heads and into the hands of those who are waiting to read them. If you feel that you have a book in you, but don't know where to begin, visit sedgebeer.com, click on the Work With Me tab, and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you've been looking for. That's sedgebeer.com, S-E-D-G-B-E-E-R.com. Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself. Invest in your brand and then manifest your success with a robust spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Own Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Own Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Own Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Own Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Home Times. Open yourself to the possibilities. I wanted to talk to you about a program called the Dream Arc and a retreat that we're doing. And I want to invite you along. And the Dream Arc is a, is a dream technology. And, and even the latest physics is suggesting now that reality is not what we think it is. That it's kind of a construct. And that the Dream Arc teaches us how to use the full operating system to navigate our brain frequencies between waking and sleeping and dreaming, and to move through the inner realms and the outer realms seamlessly. And you will work in the dream arc with certain animals that will come to you, maybe in real life, maybe through your intuition, in magical ways, or perhaps through, you know, just dreams that come to you. It's filled the dream arc with invitations and suggestions and tasks that you, you choose 
intuitively. You choose the ones for you. You don't know what you're choosing, but they come to you. You know, so please join us as we dive down the wormhole into the dream arc and let's see what happens. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Welcome back. Roberto Masato, number seven on your list. Ask and it is given. Learning to Manifest Your Desires by Esther and Jerry Hicks, published in 2004. Um, I think that they really did kick off the whole New Age movement between them. Um, the information has been just incredible coming from them. And of course, they were the inspiration for The Secret. When did you come across this book? And how did you find it? Yeah, I came across it only recently. I read it like maybe eight, nine months ago, just because my flatmate had it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I've been listening to Esther and uh, Abraham Hicks so often on YouTube. Now let me read the book. And I already loved the title. It's not even ask and it, you should be given. It is given. Like it's a fact. It's already here. So as always, I love the idea of a channeled book, like it happened with Conversations with God, the idea that all the content is given by this group of non-physical entities, Abraham, who's channeled through Esther. And this book, for me, took the secret to another level, in the sense that the secret was probably very, still very theoretical, even though it had some exercises. But I found this book to be more practical, uh, super clear, because it's organized in small chapters, it gives you the three steps for manifesting. One, ask, and that's up to you. Two, the universe prepares the answer, so that's up to the universe. And three, allow the receiving of the answer. And earlier on with the secret, I said that one of the most common mistakes in the law of attraction is that we focus more on the lack of something rather than on the actual thing that we want to attract. And this book also shows, this uh, ask and it will be given, shows how... Another big obstacle is that so many people are not ready to receive. And that's something that I've seen over and over and over, either consciously or unconsciously. In so many ways, we're blocking the abundance of the world. Even simply when people are deflecting compliments, that's a way in which you're not receiving. And if you're not receiving, you cannot give because we are in and out beings. And you can't give what you are not ready to, you can't receive what you're not get ready to give. So the two things are really strictly connected with one another. And what I loved about this book is it presents, I think, 15 different exercises that you can implement in your everyday life to start to really put into practice this asking, leaving it to the universe, and then be ready to receive. So I, I think that I prefer this one to the secret. For me, it made things even more accessible. Also in the way it's really simple, really digestible chapters. Yeah, yeah. All of their books are excellent. Book number eight, The Untethered Soul. This one comes up a lot too. The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael Singer, published in 2007. Yeah, so this one is uh, one of those books like Conversation with God and the New Earth that is so dense. 
again, one of those books that I would read 10 pages by 10 pages. And the untethered soul is the soul that is able to, the soul that is free from the thoughts and the beliefs that we have. It basically brings us to become the observer of all this incessant voice that is always narrating the world to us and very often is saying things that are not particularly meaningful. If we realize, if we're able to detach from this voice and realize that it's not us, that the untethered soul, we are behind this. So take a step back, become the observer, and notice that if you're observing, then you're not the things that are said. And you can witness all these things are separated from your true essence. And in this way, you really become more liberated. Um, you're, you don't get entangled in your emotions, in your thoughts. And another thing that it left with is really allowing spirit to do things through me. Again, not opposing resistance and just be used as an instrument for things to be birthed through me. When I know that I'm not entangled in all these you know, thoughts and voices that correspond to my more basic nature. And I realize that I'm so much more beyond and above this. That's when I can connect with source, with spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Book number nine. This is an interesting one. Pussy, a reclamation by Regina Tomshower. And you said that this book, really moved you more into your feminine energy yes so last year within my coaching program i had to work on different things and one of those was moving more into my feminine energy because uh, i've always been you know the typical strong independent woman high achiever always putting you know a goal achieving it and then next and this is not sustainable. And I just wanted to move more into a more flowing, um, more nurturing, more accepting, but also being more connected to my body. Because I've always been a person really a lot into my mind. And that's why I also became an NLP practitioner, because I, I live here. And I felt a bit disconnected, especially after COVID, with my body, you know, with the fact that maybe for, for days I would always be wearing the same stuff, not going out, not even looking at myself in the mirror. And so I just wanted to get a connection back with my body. And this book was suggested by some of the other coaches. And it's bold. And it's really a reclamation right from the title, right? So it, it really empowers women to get connected back with their sexuality, removing shame, guilt, all the taboos that society has associated to it, understanding the power that that gives us, not only to feel more feminine, to, to really rediscover the presence, the, the power, the word that comes more empowerment and power, but it can also lead to a more stable and harmonic world. Because if we feel much better in our own skin, then this has effects also on, on the world around. And I, it also provides interesting exercises to put in practice to either get really connected with one's sexuality and and use it also as a way to you know to attract men in a different way so for me it was an eye-opener because i don't know you know raised in italy from uh, with a very catholic imprinting 
there was so much that I wasn't even aware of that I needed to move away from. And, and so, yes, it's been definitely an interesting, an interesting read. Did it improve your relationships? Not yet, because uh, I read it in January and I've, I've been single in, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been single for the past year. So I would say it hasn't improved my relationships with men. It's definitely improved the relationship with myself. That's all that matters. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's where it begins. Yeah. Yeah. So book number 10. Now, this was an interesting one because I searched all over the internet and I could not find this book. And I had to come back to you and question the title um, mm -hmm. because the title that we have here and the book that you have there does not appear anywhere and it's called All in the Mind, How to Succeed by Letting Go by John Perkins. By John Perkins, yeah. When was that one published? 2004. 2004. It's very well used. <laughs> it's very well used, yes, because I took it traveling with me, but you, you know, you are in good company in the sense that even chat G GTP uh, doesn't know about this book. It was like, sorry, I don't know <laughs> what it wow. is. Well, I'm like, I got swiped up by AI. Yeah, so I said, how come that I have it? I don't know. I don't, I don't even remember who gave it to me. But anyway, so I probably have really beautiful memories associated to this book because I took it traveling with me. And that was, I think, in 2016. So I was very new to all this world. And again, this book is a collection of many tools. So I would say that it's a good first book for whoever is approaching the world of self-development and growth because it talks, again, of the law of attraction, of letting go of attachments, the importance of thanking and asking, again, the giving and receiving. Something interesting that it says, okay, again, the importance of remaining in the, pros, in the, in the present, and also the importance of not knowing, which I found really interesting. The fact that we always want to control and have clear answers, and it's in surrender and in trust, in, you know, really saying, okay, I put the questions and then I leave it there. I don't necessarily need to have it now um, that we can feel so empowered and live definitely more serenely. So he's very well known for his books, Letting Go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think for business people, for, you know, all uh, arenas of life. But this one, yes, it sent me on quite a goose chest. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I'm surprised that it's not even available secondhand on any books. Uh, otherwise, it would have showed up on Amazon and it didn't. Yeah, this is very interesting. I have no yeah. idea how I got it. You want to hang on to that one? Yes. yes. <laughs> For sure. Well, that's your 10 best list. Now, um, if you could, in my eye, if you could have dinner, coffee, tea, whatever, maybe even breakfast with one of those authors, which one would you choose? Neil Donald Walsh. Neil Donald Walsh? Yes. And what would you ask him? Oh, wow. Wow, what a beautiful question. Uh, I mean, he's answered most of the questions. answered so many questions, yeah. I would like to know how he felt when he saw his hand moving on his own. Like, how, how did his person... He, he receives all these answers, yes, but how, how does it feel to really see the presence of God in action? 
because I can, you know, like I know it. I know that I'm uh, an expression of God, but it's more something that I kind of take for granted, and or, or I I got there through my through my spiritual journey, but I've never had a real proof that makes me say, oh my God, God is here. Yes, I see it in the beauty of nature. I see it everywhere, but there's something different about having this pen moving on its own and giving you answers. So probably I would I would really like to know how was it and how did you feel? Who did you talk about it at the beginning? How were people responding when you were telling them that God was talking through you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can get him on this show and we'll answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about your book. Now, let's tell the story first. A few years ago, you were feeling, yeah, universe, I trust you, yes, one month in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, you were at a down point in your life and you were feeling um, not very good at all and something, and uh, I'd like to know what it was, impelled you suddenly to do something completely radical and, as you said, you know, not need to know the answers, but take a chance and go travelling without knowing what you were going to do, where you were going to end up, or how the journey would evolve. Yeah. What, what, what made you decide to do that? Well, in 2018, I had been stuck for two years. I was living the worst crisis of my life on uh, on so many on so many levels. Nothing was really working. I had been single for eight years. I had this strong desire to become a mother, so I had started a fertility journey on my own, which was unsuccessful. I didn't feel particularly understood by my friends, and I had discovered that my best friend was having an addiction, which really came with such an entanglement of emotions. Plus, I liked my jobs as an interpreter and subtitler and voiceover artist, but I felt called to help people, but I didn't know in which capacity. So wherever I was looking, there was just confusion and I was focused on what was not there, the husband, the children, uh, rather than looking at the beauty that still was in my life. And I got inspired on, um, on YouTube. I stumbled upon this American lady called Maggie Doyne, who in 2018, I seem to remember she was 31, and she was the adopted mother of 56 Nepali orphans. Basically, she had gone to Nepal on a gap year. She had fallen in love with the country. She had seen this child carrying 70 kilos of stones. So she decided to help her by paying for her education, then thought I could pay for a second child. And then it was like a landslide. She bought a piece of land, she did school, and ended up um, adopting all these children. And when I heard this story, I thought, oh my God, I need someone like her to inspire me. I need someone who has taken, has gone full in with her life. Because I felt I was stuck in this grayness, not appreciating what I had, not taking any action. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to talk with her in Nepal. I'm going to buy a ticket. And so I bought the ticket, initially for Nepal. And then I thought, but I need to get away from London, from all its problems. So I'm going away for three months. And I'm going to make this experiment. If all the pain comes from unmet expectation, you know, the idea that my life was going in one way and it wasn't. I want to see how life is when you have no attachments, no expectations, and you just go with the flow and you embrace life as it is. I want to see how it is. 
So for the next three months, universe I trust you is going to be my mantra. I'm not going to organize anything to the point that I had only booked the tickets and the first night in a hotel because I was landing at 4 a.m. in Colombo. I didn't even open the, the touristic guide about Sri Lanka, so I had no idea what I was going to see. Um, and for three months, I did the surrender experiment, even though back then I didn't know about the surrender experiment. You know, it's something that people told me afterwards. And it's been a life-changing journey on so many levels to the point that when I came back, I wanted to, you know, I wanted people to know what happens when you live in trust. And I wrote the book without particular high intention and low attachment. Like I thought, okay, those 100 people who know me may read it out of friendship, out of support. I never thought that I was going to translate it in English and that it would bring me in Times Square with the book shown on the, on the Nasdaq billboard. So the whole journey of the book afterwards is in itself a continuation of my surrender experiment. Like really, universe, I trust you. And it's just, I've done something really aligned with my soul. I wanted to... I wanted people to know how, how liberating it is when you finally surrender. When you move, first when you move into acceptance and then when you move into trust. And anxiety, for example, has completely disappeared from my life because I'm like, everything is always working out for me and the universe is always going to take care of me. Like I came back with this unshakable belief that we are so loved and always taken care of, even when it doesn't seem. When it doesn't seem, it's simply because afterwards I will understand that that thing had to happen for something major to happen. You know, sometimes we feel, we feel that, oh, this person or this situation has been taken away from me. But in fact, they're just creating space for something better to land in your life. So when you landed uh, in Nepal, was it? Did you say? Well, the first, month, the first month was in Sri Lanka, then the second in India, and then the third in Nepal. Yeah. So you had only one night's accommodation. And the next day, what did you do? Did you wait for inspiration, for your intuition, or how did you navigate that? Yeah, I was, I was constantly checking in with myself. So I, when I arrived in Colombo, I was really tired. You know, when you are, but the, but the mental tiredness coming from all this contrast and, and also I was coming with a big people-pleasing trade. And those three months, just putting the focus on myself and always wondering, what do I want and how am I going to give it to myself, really healed that pattern of being the Red Cross nurse, as I call it. So I'm tired. I want to be two, three days at the beach. So I'm going to stay here. And that evening, I had a conversation at the hostel where I was staying with, two, with a couple. They, were just, they had just finished their trip. They were leaving the day after. And so they were telling me, oh, you know, this place is beautiful. You should go here. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to stay here two, three days. And then if you say that this place is worth it, I'm going there. And again, these were plans that I was not attached to because who knows what might happen, who I was meeting. And so I was just, let's really go with the flow. And sometimes I was changing mind on an hour-to-hour basis. Oh, I love this place. You know, sometimes I thought I'm going to stay, for example, in Mirissa. I'm going to stay two days. But then I loved it. And then I met an, a great travel buddy and I stayed there for five days, I guess. So it was... What constant... was the most unexpected thing that happened? Well, in terms of what happened during the trip, 
well, if we're talking about the book, there is a synchronicity that just blew my mind, uh, that not even if I had sat down and calculated the train timetables and situations, I would have been able to make it happen. So that's one thing. But if we're talking about the trip in general, when I went to Nepal, um, I, I did a Vipassana meditation retreat, a 10 days yes. silent meditation retreat. And I had basically never meditated before. So it was a full on mind blowing experience. And on day eight, I had what I call the first vision of my life. And I say vision because my brain didn't have the knowledge to, to bring this thing up. So I saw NLP written on a wall. And I didn't know what NLP was to the point that I thought National Liberation Party. <laughs> so I had to wait for day 10 when they gave me my mobile back to discover that it was neurolinguistic programming. And because I've always studied languages and I've always been interested in psychology, I'm like, this is going to be my next move. You know, I left asking in which modality can I help people? So that's the answer that came after eight days of sitting there meditating 12 hours a day. And then when I came back to London, I checked NLP and I discovered life coaching that I had never heard of. So I got to life coaching quite late in comparison to, to other people, but that's been my journey. And the moment I went to the, there was a free uh, weekend where they were introducing life coaching, half an hour into it, I already knew that it was my, my next career because basically I've always been a coach without knowing it. So what about hiccups along the journey? I mean, unexpected things that weren't quite so positive that you had to think again or, you know, find a workaround. Well, 89 days of traveling, I've been, let's say, down, a bit sad, only four days. And it was always connected to men that I met during the trip. So, and there were major hiccups, you know, maybe I was supposed to meet one of them and then it didn't show up. So not, nothing, nothing major. I haven't had, well, <laughs> the hiccups, but it's quite a common one in, uh, in India is to get the so-called deli belly, so stomach problems that, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it's something that you take in your stride when, especially when you're going to, to India. I don't know, it happens so often there. So I wouldn't say nothing major. Uh, really, really nothing that I can think of. And in fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is that, especially in Italy, we don't have a backpacking culture. So when I was telling them I went traveling on my own for three months, they were always putting me five questions. Weren't you afraid? Didn't you feel lonely? Uh, was it safe for a woman? How much did it cost? Weren't you afraid? And I thought these people will never leave because of all these fears. And it would be only by making such a trip that they would realize you're never alone because you go in hostels and you are always mixing with people. It's super cheap because we're talking about countries where you can have uh, an ensuite room for $4 and you eat with 40 cents. It's safe for a woman, way safer than London or Italy because of the, you know, because of the religion and the culture that they have. So I've never felt um, threatened in any ways. Um, and so it was also my contribution to hopefully push more women to try this traveling on their own or in general, go against their fears, which brings me back to um, conversations with God that unfortunately so many people make choices based on fear. And one of the most shocking statistics that I've came to learn in my studies is that 98% of fears never become true. And so many of us just base their life on the possibility that something goes wrong when it doesn't. Uh, 
Yes, this is how insurance companies thrive. <laughs> yes. Um, so what would you say, um, which country did you feel most at home in? Did you, you know, really want to go back to? Uh, so many. It, it's very difficult for me to say out of those three countries, which one I preferred. Sri Lanka was new and it's such an underestimated paradise. I loved the abundance. That's where I that's where I understood that the universe is abundant by default. Because I was lucky enough to release more than 100 uh, turtles, which, which were born just when I was passing by and they were releasing them in the bucket. You know, like you see so many animals, hundreds and hundreds of turtles, fruits everywhere. And then, yeah, the, the flowers, it's so lush, so green. So that's where I really thought, Oh my God, the universe is so ready to give us, but we have this scarcity mindset and we think that there's never enough or we are blocking it unconsciously. So Sri Lanka is really beautiful. I, I loved the, the greenery. I loved the, um, the landscape, but men are so <laughs> relentless in, uh, honestly, that not, not dangerous, but they were constantly, you know, hitting at you, which is something that didn't happen at all, for example, in Nepal or in India. They have a different sort of mentality. Yeah. India, I've been there four times. I love it. India is another world. I don't know. I really, it's a country where I say, okay, I need the willing suspension of disbelief that Samuel Coleridge talks about, because you cannot, <laughs> you cannot, from my Western world, understand how, People can live in that way, you know, and it's a place where everything is so enhanced. All the senses, you know, like there are so many smells, the colors are so bright, you're always surrounded by so many people who have no sense of privacy. And the first thing they ask you is, are you married? And the second one, how much is your watch? <laughs> so I don't know, it's really, for me, India is like opening up a pop-up book for children. You never know what comes up. It makes no sense sometimes. And you just... It's really a country like Marmite. You either love it or, or you hate it. It's a strong... Would you, would you do a trip like that again? Oh, yes, totally. Yeah. I'm actually longing for it. Yes, yes, yes. You are. Yes. Would you go to different places? Yes, yeah. Because even though I love those places, the world is so amazing and there is so much to see. And so, yes. So, I have... Sorry. Tell me how your book um, ended up being advertised and Times Square. Yes, so I had hired a book promoter and she suggested to, to send the book to a book, uh, a book festival. And when I wrote my book, I thought, you know, it's, it's really relatable, but definitely it doesn't have a style that would make me win anything. So I was like, mm, not sure why I should do that, but okay. So I did it and it was the Book Fest Awards. And I entered it in the category uh, nonfiction, um, travel journal, because my book is the journal that I was keeping day by day with some extracts from before leaving so that the readers would understand my emotional wreckage and why I wanted to leave. And it came second in, the, in this category of self-discovery and travel journal. And then to my surprise, Based on the uh, on the score that it got for the content and for the cover, it was selected to be shown together with 35 other books on the Nasdaq Billboard 50 times in one day in New York. 
And so I, I flew there to live my Carrie Bradshaw moment, <laughs> which is something that I had never uh, imagined happening in my life. And, and it was really, really amazing, really amazing. Wow, yes. I mean, you know, that's something that most authors would give their eye teeth for. Absolutely. Yeah. And what a great encouragement your story is to any would-be writer out there. You know, go for it. Every time you've got the dream, go for it. Roberta Masato, thank you so much for adding your 10 best list to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. It's been a delight to speak with you. It's been delightful indeed. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So for more information about Roberta Masato's coaching services, work and her book, Universe, I Trust You, A Month in Sri Lanka, visit her website at robertamusato.com. That's it for this week. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. I'll be back at the same time next week with another 10 best interview for the No BS Spiritual Book Club. Till then, it's goodbye from me. And thank you again to Roberta Masato. Thank you and bye.